Paraphrase Alice Cooper, hello, hooray. The show will begin in just a moment. But before that, I want to tell you about patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, which is where you can go support this show and get a whole lot of hot bonus content. There's a whole bunch of new features that are coming. They're right around the bend. But why spoil the surprise? Because mystery is the spice of life. And while you're doing that, think about how you're going to write a delightful five-star review. Not just for me, not just for my show, but for every show that you enjoy, because reviews help the shows. And you help us, we help you. I think that's a beautiful exchange of energy. And of course, the five-star review, in addition to being helpful, is the most sophisticated review. And you, dear listener, are a true sophisticate. Oh, and YouTube, you've heard of it, right? It's on the up, and now Craig and Friends is on YouTube. So head on over there and subscribe. The show's actually been on there for a while. The thing is, it wasn't uh, uploading. It wasn't updating because of uh, various technical issues. Anyway, all of those audio-only episodes will be present and accounted for eventually, as well as every episode going forward, because every episode going forward will be filmed. Now to the matter at hand, Under the Cherry Moon, Prince's best film, as you'll hear us say many, many times. And I say us because I am joined once again by Nashville's preeminent film critic, connoisseur, and curator, Jason Shahan, who is also a Prince expert. There's just no getting around it. Jason and I taped this uh, at the end of the pandemic, middle of the pandemic. I'm not quite sure what point in the Pavarotti it was, but we do make mention of it. So I want to let you know, I want to give you a heads up. But don't be scared. Don't be frightened. Don't get tightened up because we're talking about Prince and Under the Cherry Moon right now. Do you need me to do a level check? Uh, I kind of was doing it on you secretly, oh, but... Uh, that's that's yeah. fine. I forgive you. <laughs> Secret levels. Secret level check. You and your audio espionage. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on. That's what happens when people see the conversation at the at too early an age. <laughs> that's right. It was an inspiring film. That and Blowout, actually. <laughs> Did a lot for me. Indeed. But indeed. those are the films we're talking about today, are they? <laughs> it, they are not, but um similar plots to this film though. Um <laughs> I guess in that both of they're all about like the the how money drives society and the rich get away with whatever they want and yeah. um you know the rest of us are just sort of left to like pick up the pieces and if we're lucky become landlords. Mm. Well, hopefully that one day we can do that. That would be nice. I'd love to own an apartment building. I mean, I'd love to own property, but I don't want to be a landlord. It's, well, you farm that out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that's just being dishonest. I mean, it's like if you make your money that way, you got to own it. You got to well, you have to be upfront about it. I think being upfront is one thing, but then owning the building and having a property manager uh-huh. is another. A trusted person. It's no, I I see where you're where you're what you're where you're coming from but it's also it's like it's just like you find out about like well you know the 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 board of directors of kill em all usa incorporated <laughs> is like you know and it, you find out it's just like oh well they're on the board of directors they're not actually making these decisions oh, but sure. they are so it's I, like yeah. you know you got to take the responsibility so you're saying being one step removed is just not good enough right yeah, yeah. You, you 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 can't keep putting buffers in between you, you and moral responsibility i mean that's that's the thing that made 
that's the one of the things that's got the planet so messed up right now. Well, is, that's true. That's true. But yeah. you know, it's okay for me. <laughs> and that that's the other thing that helps that along. People have to have a certain degree of blinders to yeah. the the how their own self interest is pretty much just like everyone else's self interest if you look close enough. Sure. It's yeah. true. Well, it's even the way that people handle COVID safety. Yeah. For some reason, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, but it's okay because I know because it's my cousin and fill in the blank. Yeah. It's all, that's what or, the craziness oh, we're comes fine. from. I'm, I feel fine. And I'm just like, it's just, it's not about you. It's about everyone else. I yeah. mean, it's like, but the thing is, is that you can't make that stick. You've never, that mentality just doesn't stick in this country. It's, Which is probably the big problem. It's not. It's definitely a problem. And then people who are really crazy on the other direction are like, oh, you're so self-obsessed with, mm. it's really just about thinking about the better yeah, good. Or yeah. just like, what's right? What's the right thing to do? Yeah, it's just it's just conscientious. I mean, it's like, there are people who I'd like to slap in the face, but I still wear a mask around them because it's like, well, I don't want, I don't want anybody to die on my account. Um, even if it's inadvertent, you know, there aren't just one or two people. No, no, I, 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 I really <laughs> I know, don't. I really don't. I know, I'm now, like I said, like once, once, if 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 we reach a point where we're the the pandemic is not something that we have to worry about, there's a list of people who deserve to get a full on slap in the face. Yeah, but it's not going to get to that until we're past the mask thing. So. There you go. Something to look forward to. Is what it's <laughs> Some of about. y'all got it coming. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Just live, live every interaction you have with another person as if you might have like just an an open handed slap to the face coming if you if you're not <laughs> gracious and kind. Well, people should just be gracious and kind anyway. There's a, ideally, yeah. yeah. I mean, that used there was a time. Maybe it was just the '60s when that was the default response. And I just, it's, it's just sad that we've sort of gotten away from that. And then also like everything is so messed up. It's, it's almost like, you know, what's the point? And, um, and it's sad, but I get that. I get that. Yeah. It's almost that. Yeah. Thankfully it's not quite, but there does seem to be a general Mm -hmm. feeling of malaise that is spread through. There's a fatalism that is just everywhere right now. And, um, which is kind of appropriate that we're talking about under the cherry moon. I agree. Because it's a it's a beautiful and wild romantic fairy tale, but it has to end tragically because it's that kind of movie. It is. It is, even though it's fantastical. Yeah. Beautifully designed and shot by yeah. the fabulous Michael Bauhaus. Yes, yes. I mean can you imagine having worked with both Rainer Werner Fossbender and Prince? I mean, Quite it's a just resume. like that's uh that is um that those are some diaries that I would like to read. <laughs> uh, I want I want to know the real real on that front. So how many films did he make with Fassbender? Roughly, did he do oh, a I lot have, of stuff uh, with he Fassbender? Did, he, did, he did quite a few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's hard to even know the total. Yeah, count I mean, I on didn't, his I films. I didn't do the I didn't do the research on that. Well, level, but no, it's just more of a ballpark figure. Like, yeah, did, was he uh, uh, one of the most regular collaborators? I, I, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, then uh, and then he also did Scorsese's After Hours, right? Yes, yeah, and Color of Money, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. that's when Scorsese realized, oh, wait, so you don't have to wait all day for a setup? Yeah. And you can do multiple setups in a day? Well, yeah, because that, that's he went from um, 
He went from Under the Cherry Moon to uh, Color of Money. Okay, so it was After Hours was before it then, right? Uh, no, After Hours was 88, I think. No, that was his like, big comeback sort of picture. Because mm-hmm. Last Temptation of Christ got canceled. It was That was yeah. at Universal. And that was supposed to start filming maybe 82, 83. Mm-hmm. And it was in development for a while. But yeah, I think it was Universal. It was either Universal or Paramount. Anyway, that went away. And mm-hmm. the company had said to Scorsese, look, we want to do it. It's nothing about the film. We're happy to do stuff with you, but we're getting too much pressure from religious groups and we just can't do it because the distributors well, are yeah. nervous about you know what eventually ended up happening when it did come out. So yeah. then he went off and made After Hours, which was originally going to be directed by Tim Burton. And it was a project shepherded by Griffin I wouldn't Griffin have worked Dunn. at all. Do you think so? No, I, I, and I love Tim Burton at that time period. Yeah. But it's like the thing about After Hours is that you have to... It has you have to believe in the realism of it to get into like just the crazy Virgilian journey that yeah. it takes you on, and like I don't think at that time, like with with Burton, you have to it's it's half and half. You have to have like half of the magic there already. That's yeah. one of the things that makes Pee Wee's Big Adventure so great is because a lot of it is the recognizable real world, but at the same time, it's coexisting with these magical spaces. Sure. And with with After Hours, you couldn't really do that. But right, the magical spaces are really the nightclub. Yeah. And that's more of a like a bizarro realism. There's also a great cameo in that, which I never saw until I saw it at the New Beverly. Mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese is in the club scene. Oh, yeah, he's running the spotlight. Yeah, but I think I saw it mostly on VHS as a kid. Uh-huh. And maybe one time on DVD, I'm not sure. So, and if I, if, and on DVD, I probably saw it on a small TV. Yeah. So, and that's one of those, those early Warner DVDs that was like, uh, open mat full frame. Yes. Uh, for like the first issue. It took them a while before they actually did one proper aspect or issue. Yeah, exactly. So I, I never saw him before and i was thrilled to see him <laughs> in that i love the club scene in that as well and you know of course i love I, club scenes in general yeah me too i all the club scenes are welcome after hours was 85 okay you were you were absolutely right and so, then that was scorsese's sort of big re-entry into the studio pictures because king of comedy stiffed yeah and then he was working because it, it was on, way too far ahead of its time oh absolutely it's one of the best movies ever made and it also was so over budget because they were shooting in New York and all the attendant problems that that had. Yeah. And then nothing was made until After Hours, which was super low budget, which was the only way he could get something mm-hmm. made. Griffin Dunn and his producing partner, Amy something, I think, mm-hmm. owned the property of that. Tim Burton was all lined up. And then when he found out that Scorsese expressed interest in it, he mm-hmm. said- He stepped aside. Yes. Yes. He stepped aside. He said, this is much- better for mr scorsese yeah and I'd well, be, he was right i'd, he was I'd hate to stand right. in the way no completely right yeah. completely right and he made peewee's big adventure instead and that's peewee's big adventure and ed wood are the two best tim burton films so like mm. yeah any like I, I i imagine there's an interesting uh, alternate universe where um tim imagine, burton wait, made after hours but, and, and flip them that scorsese oh makes peewee's big adventure oh my god martin <laughs> scorsese's peewee's big adventure would be something very special and how big. great would that be the large Marge sequence, I feel like, would be like one of the Lufthansa truck sequences in Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> it would get you. It yeah. would get you. <laughs> and, of course, we just saw a large Marge in a film last night at the New Beverly. We went to see yes. a double feature of Terror on Tour and Trick or Treat, which is yes. the film that has large Marge playing a concerned citizen. Yes, yes. Mrs. Cavell. Mrs. I think. Cavell, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is 
wild. <laughs> it's good, but it's also not under the cherry moon. No, it's not under the cherry moon. It, it's it's amazing to me. This film has such a toxic reputation. It really does. And I was guilty of that for a while. Same my, here. But my my friend, the the late Jim Ridley, like the the entire. Um, span of our friendship from the first time we met till till his untimely death um as critics were him trying to convince me that under the cherry moon was good and me trying to convince him that alien three was good (laughs) and i feel like we accomplished that by the end of times but it was never discussed and um but yeah no like like under the cherry moon like if you don't watch it um in the right frame of mind, I can see it as being insufferable because it's like, it's, if you don't enjoy old style movies, um, if you don't enjoy Prince, you're not going to get this film. You're not going to have fun with it. And it's, yeah. um, it's delightful. It is delightful. And I'd never seen the last half hour of the movie before, which I didn't realize, <laughs> you know, I usually like to be very circumspect, spec, stacked. I like to be circumspect and spec. That's, that's Indeed. how thorough all I like the to circums, be. All exactly. of them. All the circums, except size. <laughs> don't, don't want that. And thankfully I'm free of, of that burden. Everybody's got their something. Yeah. Everybody's got their something. And the beautiful thing about it is that no matter how you ended up by, by matter of parental decision or society's influence, somebody out there is just fine with that. Oh, sure. Look, I have no and problem other with people, someone else. And there's other people on the um, internet who have issues. Um, oh, and, and just <laughs> to be clear, always there's always the someone else. I, I'm always uh, amazed when people do have a hard and fast rule about yeah. circumcised or cut or uncut. And yeah. I think, why? Like it's yeah. not yours. Like I, I'm, I'm happy. Mine is not okay. Uh-huh. It worked out for me. Uh, however, I wouldn't know the difference if I was cut, and also I wouldn't care what someone else is. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Well, I mean, it's just you know everybody's got um, things that their issues. Like, and for some people, it just has to do with foreskins. Uh, you know, hey, my my issues. I have mayonnaise issues. Okay. I can't abide mayonnaise in any form. Like wow. it just, it is an absolute meal killer. Like if somebody puts it on a sandwich, I'm just like, who wants a sandwich? Because I can't do it. Um, like that was the whole thing. Like when I when I came out to uh, um to to California this week, one of the things I did was I had to um uh, transport some pimento cheese for some friends. <laughs> and here's the thing: is that like a, it's weird that you can't get that in Los Angeles, but yeah. for me. To make a point of just being like, you know, this this is for people whom I care dearly about, who do yeah. a lot of good in the artistic community, and I want them to have their gross, disgusting mayonnaise product in a timely and cool fashion. So, like, I literally like convert. I MacGyvered one of my suitcases to where I could transport cold items, and I just heaps and heaps of pimento cheese, and it's just like. Like and I get it. I honestly yeah. get like if if someone's thing is foreskin the way that my thing is mayonnaise, like I totally understand. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But it's also it seems like there's a lot of people who are all about that and it basically just comes to down to them being mad at their parents. I think so. And also this weird feeling, uh this superstitious almost assumption that you are dirty somehow. Or yeah. that you can't clean. I mean, yeah. look, if someone's unable to clean themselves properly uh-huh. to the point where they can't figure out the foreskin issue, I, that I probably wouldn't want to be with them anyway. Yeah. There's going to be other problems in more dangerous areas. I feel like... Th- I feel... <laughs> I feel like this was one area of of conflict that the military used to educate people about. Like I feel like I one feel, of the good things they I would do. I feel like in World War II, like people were aware of foreskin issues. Yeah. Um but it's it's a you know, it's 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 just one of those things and it's always fascinating 
And, um, you know, it's like, it's, it is, and it's also something you can use to like, you, you always know in some social situations, all you have to do is mention it. And then the chaos that erupts, you can slip away quickly. Yes, you can. It's a, it's a, it's a good get out of a conversation free card (laughs) or getting into the under the cherry moon conversation, Yes, which we're still dancing around. Yeah. But that's the fun of it. It's, it's hard to engage with because it's so unlike every other movie today like the closest thing i could compare it to was maybe la la land just in terms of like taking the forms and location of like a certain style of movie and like serving them up several decades after they're out of vogue um but it's just like it's 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 amazing because it's like okay this is this is prince after purple rain like the biggest tour um, you know, he got an Oscar for the film. Yeah. Um, it for was a massive hit. Soundtrack? Song score. Song score, okay. Which they don't do anymore. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, yeah, it happens. But I mean, like, they got rid of song score because of Trey Parker, because of the oh. South Park musical, which is ridiculous. It because is. the South Park musical, it's got issues, but those are great songs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just, there's a, there's a certain degree of conservatism amongst the Academy. Well, it's snobbery and, as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, every every guild that gives out awards of some capacity, there's some degree of snobbery. Yeah. And you have to be an ego, I've said this before, you have to be an egomaniac to be a film critic or to vote in those kind of awards. <laughs> but that's exactly the kind of egomaniac I am, so that doesn't trouble me nothing. Coming off of that success, Warner is just like, what do you want to do for your next movie? You Here's the, the Hollywood blank check. And you hear about this so often, you know, when someone makes a passion project that's near and dear to them. And I guarantee you, no Warner exec expected uh, a black and white <laughs> romantic comedy that ends in a tragic gun being gunned down. Um with it's, some uh, homo flexible, hetero flexible, there's there's kind there's, of stuff there's going on. All sorts of polymorphous sexuality in this film, which is yeah. kind of nice. Like it's it's, it's the, lovely. Yeah. It's the French Riviera, so you know, like minds are broadened and opened, and everybody's got money, and everybody's got champagne. And, you know, everyone has lovers. Yes. And I mean, and that's the thing is that like, there's a joke in this movie about like how people schedule their lovers. And I'm like, that's, that's, it's, you know, it's a little silly, but it's also very uh, stylish and very enamored of a certain kind of French filmmaking, which is yeah. just like, you wouldn't necessarily expect that from Prince, but he definitely could have used some help scheduling his lovers. <laughs> Cause like that, that, the overlap in the lovers, that's that, you know, that led to some conflicts that like really messed up a lot of his projects. What were the um, lovers that were overlapping around this time? Well, uh, uh, Sheila E. Yes. And, um, Susanna Melvoin, Wendy's sure. sister. Right. So, and the problem is, is that, you know, Prince and Susanna were engaged, right. But, but, and and he's like basically got her like you know helping design the new place that they're going to move into while he's in France making this movie and um you know he's kind of he's kind of being cruel to her he wrote songs about it like big tall wall is like all about like i love you i'm going to lock you away from the rest of the world right and like so he's doing this but he's also like in a band with her twin sister and it's that is an untenable situation, and it, it destroyed the revolution. Right. And also, the family was around this time, right? Yes, yeah. So the family, for those not familiar, it's when the time really broke up, when Morris left the time. Yeah. Prince took what was left of the time mark, too, mm-hmm. 
because that was not the original time lineup. Right. Made Paul Peterson, who was or St. Paul. Yeah. Right. And he, he was the what was the keyboard player, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then made him the front person w- uh-huh. and added Susanna. Yes. And Jerome was on drums, right? Um, or yeah. no? Jerome, Jerome was 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 part of the family, and yeah. I, I feel. I or Jellybean. Jellybean was on drums. Yeah. Maybe. And, but, but Jerome was part of it, okay. and then um, there were a couple people from uh, from Sheila's band. Okay. Um, right. So it was just it was just sort of it was supposed to be the time mark too, and then it never. Like the, the the album didn't do that much, and then he disbanded the revolution. So he sort of absorbed parts of the family into what would become the you know the sign of the times band. There was also problems with Paul Peterson as well. Yeah, Paul yeah. Peterson f- wanted more creative control. Well, yeah, yeah, and, then, and also, well, I mean, the, the 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 thing that set the tone for that was like when when Paul went in for his like first photo shoot with the time, and Prince wanted him to be in blackface, what? and he was like, no, absolutely no. not. Yeah, no, he did. Um, Prince. Prince had a lot of ideas. Let's Prince just put had it that a way. lot of ideas. Yeah, like and, calling Vanity Six vagine. Yeah, yeah, and um, and the and the hookers and oh, the uh, hookers. That's yeah. right. There's the, demos of the hookers. Yeah, yeah, and there's um, the, well, and what's so funny about that is like you know, a, a respect to the memory of Vanity. Uh, she's great, and I like Susan Moonsey. I like her thing with the teddy bear. That's cute. But the heart and soul of Vanity Six and Apollonia Six is Brenda Bennett, and I really wish that she had had done a proper album with Prince because, like, yeah. like her voice, like you recognize that on the songs where she's doing leads, but even more so on the songs where she's doing the background vocals. And there's a there's a the the best Prince B side, uh, Seventeen Days. It's a, it's the B side of a. Um, when, when doves cry. cry it was originally going to be an apollonia six single and then wow. and then decided not to so it's prince sings the leads on that but all the backgrounds are brenda and it's like the prince and brenda's voice go together so well and you don't get to hear it very often but i mean he's just like like that's one of his gifts is he always understands like um like what voices his what mesh well with his yeah yeah. Um, and that's and that's the key to this film, which is weird because it's like, you know, famously, it was originally direct going to be directed by Mary Lambert. Who and had were, done all the Madonna, not all the Madonna videos, but she'd not, done a yeah, slew. It was in the, she'd done of, like a virgin and material yeah. girl. And then she would go on to do like, um, you know, like a prayer and stuff. So this was in the midst of all that. Was this her first feature or? Um, uh, yeah. Because Siesta, anyway, yeah. With the one that she made after yeah. this was, a, but you know, there were, there were difficulties on set and Prince ended up taking over as director. So it's like you'd think okay well this is just like you know an an out of control egomaniac making things but it's like it's got a really light touch it's really like glitzy and fun and you know everybody's having a great time yeah and um you know it just seems like fabulous outfits and champagne are everywhere and let's talk about the outfits for a second because prince's outfits in this are next level incredible and also the very seductive shot of him at the beginning after the initial sequence when he's laying on the bed with those pants yeah yeah it's incredible well and it's like it syncs up in in the song christopher tracy's parade like the first line is everybody come behold and it's saying this as this camera is tracking up his like glittery ass in these like incredibly tight pants 
dance and it's just like prince knows exactly what he's doing yeah. and he's like he's a saucy little minx there's 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 a legendary interview with wendy and lisa where they refer to him like where they refer to prince at his like at his most glamorous as being a fancy lesbian <laughs> and um it's just yeah his outfits in this are so good that it makes me nervous because like i know what film sets are like yeah and i know what like like oceanside weather is sure, like yeah so it's just like how do you wear all these amazing th glittery beaded white things and just you know like live just like well if something gets stained something gets stained like i can't imagine taking that as much of a perfectionist as he was in the studio i can't imagine being that like laissez-faire about like oh it's just the weather um didn't he have the wardrobe people on staff as yeah. soon as before this like when oh well, yeah the yeah. um marie france who's the costume designer she was um in charge of his outfits um i think from probably around like the 1999 tour on uh -huh. like i could do i could be more specific about that that's but, okay um, there's a lot of prince facts and yeah things and you've got a pretty good handle on them i, so, I try there's yeah. a there's you know a prince biography is always a good thing to read because they're all interesting and they've all talked to somebody new yeah they're never not interesting and actually anyone who wants to hear more from people that worked with prince quest loves podcast has yes. some terrific entries the jimmy jam three-part oh, episode wow. it's a total of about six and a half hours uh -huh. he gets into everything to do with the time and then going on to mm -hmm. be flight time and producing janet jackson etc and then there's also a really good one with morris day oh wow there's actually one with jesse johnson uh-huh and there might be one with Brown Mark, but I'm not sure. So I have to double check. Interesting. Maybe I just want there to be one with Brown Mark. <laughs> There's also, if you search YouTube, you can find mm -hmm. really long interviews with Apollonia. Oh, yeah. From yeah. like recent years. Yeah. That's well, from another good. Prince podcast, and I can't remember the name of it. I uh, the the only person from Princeville that I've ever interviewed was uh, Des Dickerson because he lives in Nashville now. Oh, cool! And um, I, I interviewed him for the for the Nashville scene because he was going to be introducing a showing of Purple Rain, and he's a he's a fascinating dude with a lot of good stories. And um, you know, he's got that he and his new project, The Moderners, have their like one song in Purple Rain that you get like ten seconds of that they that never got released until even twenty five years later. Oh, I didn't but it's know like that. Modern Air, yeah, it's a it's a good good song but it's um but yeah like that des is i'll, I'll send i'll send you the link for I'd that love you can to. post that because it's yeah. like it's, it was great he was very like upfront about like here's a, like i asked him about like extra lovable which is like one of the nastiest unreleased print songs that he like kind of kind of does indulges in some gentle ribbing of des in that one and i asked about you know like the rick james show and the, like the opening for the stones like all the all, all those but stuff, it's just like yeah. but talking to someone who was actually there yeah who also was not prince because like i yeah. love prince i'm glad i never met him because i don't think i would have done as good a job asking questions because it's like it's prince i still want to meet wendy and lisa every yeah. time i go out in public like like that's it's you know it's not in the top 10 things i'm actively trying to do on any day but it's it's in the top 25 <laughs> like i always want to meet wendy and lisa and i always want to meet a member of, of Barda. <laughs> now, did you ever go to see any of the revolution shows on the reunion stuff that um, they did? No, they never came. Uh, the closest they ever came to Nashville was Cincinnati, and mm -hmm. I didn't find out about that until after it had happened. Because yeah. if 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 I had known, I would have gone to Cincinnati for it. Well, because they're worth going to Cincinnati for. Yeah, that's how yeah. it is. I mean, Although I didn't see them when they were in LA, but I might have been out of town. I'm uh -huh. not sure. Well, I mean, Cincinnati from Nashville is like five hours, so it's like it's. I mean, it's 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 comparable to Atlanta, which I've okay. I've done that drive for concerts before 
Um, but you got it. You got to plan that. You 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 don't undertake that lightly. No, you don't. You just don't just hop in the car. Yeah, willy nilly. Yeah, you might not get tickets. <laughs> but back to the outfits. Uh-huh. The my I think my favorite outfit. And this is hard because there's uh-huh. so many great ones. Yeah. But my favorite outfit that Prince wears is uh-huh. the almost ridiculous thing that he wears to Mary's party. Uh huh. With the cutout. Yeah, in the back, yeah, and, it's, and pants that appear to slip over the shoes. Yeah, it's like it's like Star Trek One. It's like the the <laughs> pants and the shoes are are like the same thing. But there's a pair of big heels under there. Yeah, it's, it's always heels. He's he's always wearing heels because he was a short man, mm-hmm. and he like recognized that that was the way to do it. And it's like you know, there's that's honest. That's being honest. It's not lifts in the shoes. No, same thing. He's like, I'm wearing heels. What are you going to do about it? And um, he's a very he's fabulous pants. man. He was. What's really sad though is like knowing that like all of that like ankle drama and every time he does the splits and a leap and stuff is eventually going to be part of what kills him. Yeah. Because like I mean and it just like I, I this is not a play- time for me to get angry at the Jehovah's Witness faith because Isn't it always time to get angry no, at the Jehovah's Witness? I mean Witness like faith, you know though? every religion's got every religion's whatever. But I mean, the whole thing about Jehovah's Witnesses not allowing blood transfusions is why he could never get a hip replacement, which is why he developed the fentanyl habit. Yes, I mean, and it's it is what killed him, and it's really sad when you stop and think about it. So, like, I try and like keep the joy in heart, and it's very easy to keep the joy in heart with this film. Yes, it is because it's nonstop laughs. Really, yeah, it's light it, and frothy, it and is. he's always got like like. No matter where you go in a Prince movie, you're always in Prince's eyeline, and it's kind of amazing. <laughs> he's like he's like those like carvings of the face of Christ that yes. like no matter where you go in the room, the eyes are watching you. And it's like maybe he's just got like super duper eyeliner or something. But like Prince's <laughs> instincts in this, like there was he, also an unreleased Prince song, super duper eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> he knows he knows how to be um, photographed, and it's uh. It's just wild how you like you just sort of soak up the atmosphere on this. And then of course there's like, you know, very early on he introduces his Bela Lugosi look, well, which is that is such a funny moment yeah. and it also is the big signal like we're having a good time here. This is going to yeah. be a goof. Uh-huh. It's a frothy mm-hmm. nutty entertainment that is harkening back to yeah. film eras gone by. Yeah. And also and also the films of Eric Romer, which is a really weird touchstone as well. <laughs> and it's also just nuts. It's bonkers. Yeah. The whole phone sequence where Tricky catches him, he's like, I never danced before midnight, but maybe <laughs> it's maybe my favorite scene in the whole thing. It's wild. Like the relationship between he and Tricky, like ostensibly they're half brothers, right. but they call each other cousin, but they have this very playful polymorphous thing. Because sometimes they call each other girl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, for a film that was in the mid 80s, yes. it's remarkably progressive in a number of things. Yeah. That aspect, mm-hmm. that when they make these, let's say, gay jokes or whatever, uh-huh. they're not gay jokes. They're not homophobic gay jokes. Yeah. They're, they're ha- gay jokes as in jokes made by gay people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there there's not a shred of homophobia in not any of it. Not at all. And mm-hmm. the presentation of a relationship like that is uh-huh. so bizarre for a big budget 80s movie. Yeah. Very mainstream, even though the film is very yeah. not mainstream. It's niche. It's in niche a, for sure. But it's like, yeah, like don't 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 you sit next to your buddy's bath and like you know, throw sniff flower petals, petals and yeah. throw them in <laughs> while he's wearing his like his like bath hat or something. Yeah. Like like Prince has a bath hat in this, and it is spectacular. He wears it in the Kiss video, yeah, uh, occasionally. Is it in a the bolero hat? video, yeah, yeah, yeah the it's, bolero it's, bath hat. Yeah. yeah, and it's just it's just it's such a choice. 
everything in this movie, like every scene, you're just like, this is such a choice. And it's just, it's, it's rewarding in a way that like, like Purple Rain is the one everyone goes to because the songs are incredible. The drama is something that anybody can relate to. It's very much rooted in archetypes. And it's very dark. Yeah. Which I love. Very dark. Yeah. And then, but this is like very bright and ebullient and yeah, you know, it's, it's going to end sad, but like every, Every artsy romantic comedy from the 50s and 60s was like that. And also, what a relief that it ended weirdly, essentially. Yeah. Because the way that you would think Hollywood would have it happen mm-hmm. is that Christopher takes Mary away yeah. and they live happily ever after and the, the dad sees the error of his ways. Yeah. The mother convinces the dad, <laughs> you know, honey, remember when we were young and, you know, the little yeah. coming to America kind of shit. And then, uh, <laughs> and don't you realize we've lost our way, you know, all that. And then they live happily ever after and there's a big concert sequence at the wedding. In the, yeah. In this, he's shot. He is shot. And the dad isn't, he's not even... um trying to comfort her he's just like well darling there's not much that could be done mm-hmm. so let's just go home <laughs> and then uh there is a nice little resolution though with her funding yeah. tricky's tricky and katie's uh endeavor luxury apartment endeavor in miami yes and it's amazing like the apartment that they have it's like it's like a collaboration between Kubert and Blade Runner. It's all like multi-level and everything's open it's quite beautiful and i love that relationship too katie and tricky yeah, the yeah. Fir- we first meet them, both she- of them. They're having sex behind the counter. And she's the landlord. Yes. That's what this movie has a very complicated relationship <laughs> to landlords. <laughs> well, the other thing that is very progressive in it is its treatment of sex workers, basically. Yes. Well, because that, 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 basically that's what Christopher is. Yeah. He's a, he's a gigolero. Yeah. And um, he's gigolero? good at it. He's, a he's very good. good. He cares. He's kind of like Julian, an American gigolo. He's yeah. committed to the job. Yeah. Seemingly. And it seems like every woman in the French Riviera is a client of his in some capacity. They like his work very much. And also it gives that sort of not jaded, but the sophisticated uh, wizened sense of, look, you know, we want to have fun. And this is how you have fun when you're people who go around to these sort of anonymous areas with a lot of money. That the only unifying factor is that you're wealthy. Even when that group of gossips, as you term them, yes, at the table, they're great. Solicit Tricky's um, company, and he refuses. But they're like, "Why don't you come join us?" And they give him a bunch of money. Yeah, it's like that's just how it works yeah. in certain areas. It's it's all a bartership. It's all like about like uh, economy. I mean, that's and that's 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 very much a part of like all of the relationships in the film. Because you know, Mary's about to get. She's just turned twenty one. She's getting her fifty million dollar trust from her evil father's fortune. And like, like Stephen Burkhoff in this film, like originally it was going to be Terrence Stamp. He and Prince did not get along. So he left the production. Stephen Burkhoff comes in his voice on this. Talk about a choice. Like this is, he sounds like, like it's not quite Alan Rickman as the sheriff of Nottingham, (laughs) but it's like very enunciated and he doesn't open his jaw because he's always speaking through his teeth like Mm. this. Um, If you've ever seen the comedian James Adomian do his uh, impressions, it's very much his villain voice. And it's which is incredibly entertaining. And of um, course, uh, listeners will recognize what's the man, Stephen Burkoff? Yes, 
We'll recognize Stephen Burkhoff from Beverly Hills Cop as he is Victor Maitland, <laughs> playing another swell kind of fella. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, like you, you play a, you play a villain once well, you will work that magic for quite some time. Well, especially if you're British, <laughs> like forget about it. You're going to be in American films as the villain. Yeah, and for time forever. Uh, Malcolm McDowell, good example of that. Oh, that happens to him all the time. Could you imagine him in a movie with Prince? I would love that. I, I do that often. Like a lot of times, I would just imagine because I mean, there's only four Prince movies, so it's sort of like you you, you uh, let one of the one of the games that I play sometimes is pick any Travolta performance and then imagine Prince doing it. <laughs> I love that. Let's do that. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Staying alive. Mm-hmm. That would be something. That would be an easy fit, and I think yeah. Prince would actually be miles better than John Travolta <laughs> is in that film. Battlefield Earth. Ooh. <laughs> but he'd have to play it with the commitment. Yes. that John Travolta had to the project, which was total. Yes, it was absolute. I mean, well, and that's the thing is that, like, I don't think, um, uh, I, I, I don't think that would, um, that Prince could commit to uh, Scientology in that respect. No, he wouldn't have to, but he'd have yeah. to commit to the the film as if yeah. it was a good film. I think I think the thing about Prince and I I will I will give him credit for this as someone like I I love Purple Rain I love Under the Cherry Moon I love Sign of the Times Graffiti Bridge is a disaster It's a true train wreck I've never finished it Even and I don't know if I ever will and you know that says a lot Yeah no I mean you 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 are you are fearless when it comes to that sort of thing. I'll, t- I'll tell you my my one quick antidote my one quick anecdote well you do need an antidote for that film so it's all right i saw graffiti bridge on opening weekend at the hickory hollow mall cinemas in antioch tennessee and it was me and two other people and about halfway through the second reel like one of the other guys leans over to the person he's with and they both, well, one of them gets up and wheels the other guy out of the theater. Like, he rolled out of Graffiti Bridge, yeah. and then I was the only person left for, like, the last um, 55 minutes of the film. You know, that's probably about the point I turned the film off to. And I was really hoping, because <laughs> I just watched Purple Rain, and I was uh-huh. so into Morris yeah. after not seeing the film for so yeah. many years. There's no there's no strength in the plot in Graffiti Bridge. It's this yeah. wispy, diaphanous thing. And, like... Purple Rain, like it's rough. It's 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 addressing issues of misogyny and like the recursive nature of family violence. Um, but it's like you feel it. Like yes. those archetypes, you feel that you are engaged in that plot and what is happening to the people, and it never happens with Graffiti Bridge. Which is doubly troubling that it's supposed to be kind of a sequel to Purple yeah, Rain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he's playing the kid and Morris is Morris. Um, and you know, like Mavis Staples is playing Mavis and George Clinton is George. And it's just sort of like, this is weird because like, you know, that what makes Purple Rain work is that all of the bands in it were, you know, part of the same scene. Yeah. Um, and created by him. Yeah. And it was, it wasn't a case of like taking previously famous people and then trying to fit them into this shoehorning really like it's cool the the, the cool thing about graffiti bridge is that you know it was made at paisley park studios and i think the only other feature film that was completely made there was a drop dead fred that's right how cool is is that and prince would sometimes come and hang out yeah while they were making that prince has drop dead fred now that would be something that would be incredible or maybe prince and the phoebe cates part yeah or or (laughs) Or Rick Mail as like in um well like put Rick Mail in like another Prince performance. Oh well, Graffiti Bridge. Yeah, that might liven it up a little bit. Yeah, would have. Now back to the Travolta game. 
blowout would be interesting yeah yeah well i mean because it's like prince would actually do the heavy lifting that because he understands like tape engineering and stuff like he would absolutely have he'd be great yeah the scream's not good jerome (laughs) (laughs) jerome i need a good scream Uh, well no but every time he needed a good scream he would go back to that recording that he made with vanity um that that ended up getting like used in songs for like 30 something years oh i didn't know that he had his own wilhelm scream well it's it's a it's a wilhelm moan scream but it's it's vanity and it was done for that song vibrator that never got released i love that but that but that vocal that scream of hers is in so many records wow listen you know what why don't we i'm gonna play i'll put it in later why don't we play a clip of vibrator because i don't think (laughs) anyone listening might have heard it it's really it it hasn't shown up on any of the super deluxe editions that they put they've done the estate has done a very good job of putting out a lot of some of the great unreleased songs but vibrator is not one of them sadly but it's like and it's not it's not like it's not one of the ones that will never be released like like extra lovable you think so or lust you always like no the songs that that are that he has he had a few songs um that they were not it's it's they were not about raping women they were written for women to sing about raping men oh okay so it's just it's very like messy touchy and yeah, he's doing the yeah. guide vocals so therefore yes it could be misinterpreted yeah it could be very misinterpreted so those are those are never going to turn up uh the the one from that from the the this is awful the rape trilogy um <sighs> is uh that that did make it out in some capacity with with a few rewrites is you which paula abdul cut for her second album spellbound and it's a it's a it's a great song and it works just as fine with um without a woman singing the line um you drive a girl to rape you know you do oh dear yeah yeah like like it's seriously they're they're all online you can find this out for yourself but yeah there's there's there are a couple songs that are too nasty for even now to surface wow um you know around the graffiti bridge time also Mm -hmm. is when he was putting out a lot of bad records that he had a hand in yeah, I mean, well, Carmen the, the, the protege ones are they're they're uneven. Some of them are great, but some of them are very uneven. I feel that the protege thing really took a dip around mm-hmm. that time. Candy yeah. Delfer's record, I don't know because I've heard bits of it. Maybe uh-huh. saxophone. Yeah, I'm not well, but interested. I mean that's like that's like mostly instrumental stuff, yeah. and like the, the, she does the jazz thing very well. And then she she made a great record with uh, Dave Stewart from Eurythmics called okay. Lily Was Here. That was actually like a hit in the U.S., which is weird. Mm, it is strange, um, but it's that that's a that's a good one to check out. I've never heard the Dale Bozio record that Prince uh, Riot in English. Yeah. yeah, I haven't either. It's um there there are several of them that I've just never really. So like the best protege album of that time period is Jill Jones's record. Sure. And it ought to be because they worked on that thing for like 12 years. <laughs> like it's literally, it covers such a huge span of time. Yeah. And because Jill was like the, one of the most reliable collaborators and, uh, she was reliable for him. He was not reliable for her. Um, there's a lot, and she's really good in, um, she's in, in purple rain. Yeah. She's the blonde waitress at the club. And you can absolutely tell, like, all the conflicted feelings she has about, like, him as a person and him in the movie in that performance. And she's got, like, three lines in it. She originally had a song in Purple oh, really? Rain, but that it just, you know, it just, just like, didn't make during it. the development process, it just sort of fell away. But it's, um, but that, but his version of it, um, Wednesday is on, um, the Purple Rain Super Deluxe that they did. Okay. Um, 
but I'm ready for them to do it again because it was the first one and it was like it was just like one disc of outtakes and it was a little slapdash. They've gotten like with with the 1999 and and Sign of the Times like super boxes. They know what they're doing now, and I would love them to take another crack at Purple Rain because that's it's the best album ever. Parade, the soundtrack to Under the Cherry Moon, yeah. is the second best Prince album of all time, and, and that is that's that's working on a level that few artists do. And side one was recorded almost entirely, yeah, the, in the, sequence. Yeah, the first four songs, mm-hmm. he sat down, he had um, he had uh, Susan, Susan Rogers, Rogers run tape, and he like played the first four songs through on the drums, yeah. and then went back and used that as the foundation for like. That but that's crazy to do four straight through songs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like the the this whole album, the the sounds on it are so interesting they and are. alive and weird. A lot of bizarre drum sound yeah. effects. Like there's like reverse echoes and mm-hmm. things where it's like you don't hear the attack, but you hear the yeah. explosion of reverb. Yeah. And all that. Well, it's one of his most sonically adventurous records. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. And it's one of my favorites of his. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great one, and it's uh it's finally back in print, thank God. Uh, but also, like you know, if if they if they're not going to rush back and do another Purple Rain box set, they could totally do a parade one because there's so many interesting things that were done for this uh for this film and around this time. Well, some of the instrumental stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. There's when they go out to dance on the mm-hmm. balcony. Yes. When he says, I'll take you to the moon. That's a different piece of music from That's a the, B-side. Yeah, and um, I can't remember what it is. It's uh, it's not Lover Money. Uh, Venus, uh, no, it's, there's Lover Money, there's Venus de Milo, there's Alexa de Paris, and I can't... Lover Money is um, the B-side of Kiss, okay. and Alexa de Paris... And that's in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it it all runs together. It's um you can't you can't go wrong with like anything from this time period. Like the the Paisley Park label, if it's a Prince record, you're not going to go wrong with. Well, it. if it's if it's a Prince record, okay, yeah. right, right. Yeah, some uh, of the some of the side ones are uh, a little hit or miss. But yeah, it's you okay. can skip them. Really, <laughs> um, there's actually there was a big TV special that was done of all the current signings at Paisley Park. But it's mm-hmm. in that not great era. So it's mm-hmm. George Clinton, Mavis Staples, and all mm-hmm. that. But Tevin Campbell, yes. But it's just not that terrific. I think I have it somewhere. Uh-huh. I'll send it to you when I find it. But back to the casting and everything. This was Kristen Scott Thomas's first film. Yes, yes, and she's great in it. She is great. She's in it. absolutely delightful. Her in drum it. acting is yeah, superb. yeah. Well, I mean, you gotta love anyone who makes an entrance like stark raving nude for their 21st birthday party and then going and playing the drums and playing planet rock at that that's a, a planet rock is such a choice that is the french riviera yeah yeah and it's like driving the waiters crazy it's great yeah like oh oh and her her poor mother whose job in this movie is to like be shocked and and faint on the periphery or um get uh involved in a uh sight gag where um where prince awakens her sexuality that her husband <laughs> has neglected for years because of his own um lovers it's very weird i mean it's like you could you you could do a similar draft of this screenplay and it could be like hateful and upsetting and this is not it's like every step of the way they're just like no 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 we need to rewrite this so that women are aware that Prince treasures them, and well, is, right, and really the monster man is yeah. is, Victor the, is the dad, yeah, <laughs> is the dad, yeah, the dad, and who treats uh-huh. Mary like uh-huh. a possession and yeah. a pawn in his game. And when he's telling her that he's a whore, yeah, that he's the whore because he's talking about how yeah she has to marry into for that money other family to solidify family legacy, with yeah. A, 
with a guy that she doesn't like, whom we never see, and we only hear on a phone call being the most boring goober you could imagine. Absolutely boring goober. And there's a great moment there of Prince playing with film Mm -hmm. tropes because he's playing the piano along to the thing and making a joke out of it using movie cliches he does it's the if nothing else under the cherry moon makes you very much aware how much of a cinephile prince was like how much he enjoyed the movies and what movies do and what they can say absolutely it's um it's just yeah it's just evidence also by the mixture of styles in their in the jerome christopher Mm -hmm. repartee yeah yeah like tricky rather yeah they they can they have their uh they have like at various times you can tell they're doing their little tributes to previous comedy duos. Yeah, like Martin and, and Lewis almost. Oh yeah, yeah. And um there's there are there's so they were on Kaitel, you know, the knee slappers. Yeah, all yeah, they yeah. can um they, and they're they're capable of riffing off of each other really, really well. Yeah. But uh it's funny how um like Jerome Benton in this film, it's like He's so good. It's like Prince is great because he's being Prince. He's like he is he is funneling the Prince mystique into this like iconic character and showing the funny side that his yeah. friends always talk about. Yeah, that you never saw in public appearances. Yeah, generally. Yeah, he sort of did sometimes. He occasionally, yeah. but it was much more like like when he was like dealing with the public he he put on a very like sort of removed serious monotone kind of yeah yeah yeah. and this is just like he is he's gregarious and a little spiky and um i can see a lot of prince in this film um in uh eddie izzard's dress to kill yeah there's there's a certain kind of like um polymorphous like absurdity yeah almost. well what are you going to do about it and yeah and I, yeah. I i love that i think it's uh i think it's great i feel like this film is actually a lot of the people who hate this have either never seen it or have never just watched it all the way through i think so too i mean i went along with the received wisdom of that yeah. it was a disaster yeah and then didn't see it until getting the dvd to pull footage for videodrome mm-hmm. right i th- i think i might have seen a clip Mm-hmm. And we should listen to the Siskel and Ebert review at the end of this. <laughs> um, and again, I never watched it because I, I think I was in a time crunch or something yeah. to get. So I saw some of it and I was like, oh, this is really funny. This is yeah. nutty. Never got back to finishing it. And I also yeah. knew the ending. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. me and spoilers. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh, well, God damn it. Mm-hmm. And then I never watched it, but it was really great to watch the rest of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a it's a it's a great film. I um, it was uh basically in preparation for um when when the, the one of the theater that i work with in nashville um reopened after a, an extensive remodeling in um 2016 and um yeah in in 2016 and um one of the first uh 35 millimeter screenings they had after reopening was under the cherry moon as part of a music series. And it was like seeing that in a theater, I was just like, Oh, this is on such another level. Yeah. It's way past the level that all the negative reviews and nasty talk presume it's, it's on. Yeah. Because like you said, people who don't like it just don't understand yeah and maybe their film knowledge is not that wide well but what's funny though is critics who did have that film knowledge and stuff ignored it 
And I don't know if that's just like, oh, well, what does this pop star know about things? I think or, that's what it is. Yeah. And I think I think there might honestly be some racism to it as well. Sure. You know, like, how dare this black musician make a film? Of this very successful black musician yes, as well. Yes, make this film that is almost exclusively taking place in a white milieu using tropes from decades of white movies. Right. And it's just like, it's just like you know, it's taking the stuff that you've seen and like re-experiencing it it's finding it's like it's very ahead of its time in like allowing representation in of into a place where it was not previously right and it, and a lot of times like like every time you watch it there there'll just be moments when you're just like oh prince knows josephine baker's filmography really well because there's there there's like some instances and just in like the way that people like like react to the character of christopher it's just like yes this is very similar to like the thing that josephine baker was doing when she was infiltrating the french riviera uh-huh. back in you know the the 30s and stuff or no the 20s there's also uh, some interesting moments that you pointed out where when you see the help Mm-hmm. for the Maitland family. I'm going to call them the Maitland family. I know that's yeah. not helpful. Yeah. Mary's family. The the Sharons. The Sharons, thank you. Also known as the Maitland family. Yes. Because uh, <laughs> I like to think they're in the same universe and it's a parallel thing when he's in France uh-huh. everything's in black and white when he's in Beverly Hills it's very lurid color yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they both have large estates yeah and he's yeah. a gun runner because where is that fortune coming from yeah yeah so, and, and uh, he is he is he is respected but not liked yes exactly very similar um the I'm distracted now because I was thinking of that Greystone estate which is where they shot uh-huh. that big shootout at the end of Beverly Hills Cop 2 <laughs> in the same place where they shot the walking sequences in Play It As It Lays. Ah, yes. Once you go uh, there, you realize, oh my God, so much was shot here. Dynasty, yeah. I think there's stuff shot there. But anyway, back to the film. <laughs> um, then there was the hobos, the drinking yeah, hobos. Yeah, there there, are two uh, uh, homeless gentlemen who pop up periodically in the background of shots and they're always... Like they 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 comment on the film, but in very subtle ways usually, and it's just it's just interesting that like one of the aspects of this story is that like you know Prince is aware that like even though he is the he is the prime mover, he is the main character of this, that there are there are other people involved in these rich people's stories um, that you know that don't get their own close up, that don't get their own shot, but they're you know they're still a part of the story. They're in and they're reacting, like you mentioned the yeah. help, but which I didn't finish the bit on because we were talking oh, yeah. again about how the Maitlands help. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're weeping or yeah. crying or, or well, laughing yeah, the, or something. It's when, it's when Mary is and her mom are like having it out, and the, everyone hurts a little bit. Yeah, kind of speech, which yeah. is her mom saying that it's this is what it's about. It's, we're here, it is. you know, I'm, I married somebody that I didn't love for, for financial security. Yeah. Um, and in hopes that I would be able to give stuff to my kids, which is you, and now you got to do it too. And while this is happening, like in the background of the shot, like in the mirror, it's out of focus, but you still see ones like the maid is just weeping, and it's like you're just like, oh, this is this is some heavy shit. Um, and and part of that, part of respect for this, um, you know, like Prince is directing, running things, shaping it. But also, you got to give respect to screenwriter Becky Johnston, absolutely, who um, recently was the writer on um, House of Gucci, which is another film that like encompasses many, many tones and lots of different emotional responses. But like, and sadly, just, I haven't like, seen it yet. And I'm oh, dying you to. should definitely see it's it. It's so up my alley. Everything it's about so it. insane. It's like yeah. it's it's the best kind of movie because everyone in it is in a different film. I love that. Yeah, it's like 
all over the place. And um, I, I took my dad to see that after Thanksgiving, and it was delightful. We were howling. I, I was going to go with my mom to see it, but uh-huh. then that's right when Omicron, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, not to bring the harsh reality into uh, a it's discussion the about it's under still the cherry a pandemic. moon. It's still the pandemic, and um, that you doesn't know, mean you have to watch Graffiti Bridge. No, so you don't, don't have to watch crazy, Graffiti Bridge. Your, okay? your time is too valuable. But I will say this in hopes that you know someday somebody is listening to this after we're past that. You know, and um, after and we're hopefully. never going to get past Graffiti Bridge. Oh. <laughs> 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 I was talking about COVID, but you know, oh, it, something a little less serious. But also, than, also a, a plague. Yeah. Both are plagues, but. Um, but yeah, you know, just like, hey, it it, it sucks on the inside. Uh, let's hope to see the 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 outside of that. Well, we're getting um, there. I mean, look, you're here. You're in Nashville. Yeah, you know, yeah. a year ago, this wasn't possible. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just like I'm. I just said, you're here. You're in Nashville. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm. We everywhere. had a lot of pastry. I'm omnipresent. We um, had a lot of pastry, so yeah. my head's swimming a little bit. Yeah, but so. I also I think I had some articles go up on the paper in Nashville, so it's like I still have a a presence there, even though I'm not there. And also, no one is really allowed to know your proper location until you're out of that location this is why this episode will be posting after your departure tomorrow oh uh, indeed yeah. yeah but the 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 thing about it that is um my my i feel like the solution to this would just be like you know because as soon as i heard well they have to keep the vaccines at a certain cold temperature and i was just like why doesn't Starbucks just step up and just like, okay, America, it's the vaccine chino. Do you want regular or hazelnut? <laughs> it's every like every five weeks you go in for a free frozen coffee drink yeah, sure. that just happens to be able to save your life. This is my yeah. If you're listening to this Starbucks, you can have that. You don't even have to like pay for that idea. Although you just could put help. a picture of Jason on the cup, I think that would be nice, or at least a link to his website. That's well, I I do appreciate the promotions, but I don't I don't know if that would help their sales. Like even if it's free, it's not about helping their sales. Even if it's free and saving their lives, I don't know. Like like I mean, there are there are parts of Los Angeles where me on a cup might actually help sell some things. And fortunately, that's where I'm staying in Silver Lake. Yes, but that's neither here time. nor there. You've had a good. <laughs> I'm I I I I believe in in safety and pleasure, and that is a continuum everyone has to find their way around. Get vaccinated, get boosted, um, and uh, get on prep. Yeah, and get there on you prep, go. and don't let the bastards grind you down. Unless yeah. that's your kink, in which case, go for yeah, it. Yeah, have at it. <laughs> yeah, you can take that part of the the pie because that's not what we. It's want. weird. Has something that I go through in life when I'm just looking at something, I'm just like, oh wow, this is probably somebody's kink, and it's the weirdest things. Like, like you know, there's got to be somebody who like the thing that turns their crank more than anything is like going through the drive-through at the bank and the pneumatic tube. Yeah, like somebody that pneumatic tube is their favorite sound in the world. It's like AMSR. Mm-hmm. It's like it is. It is absolutely everything. And I was just like, could you imagine how wonderful it'd be if your kink was something that easily accessible? Sure. Well. But now we're not. We're losing the pneumatic tubes, aren't we? Aren't they they're going still, away? They're still. They're still all around the country. Phew. Oh, okay. Like I just. I just. I don't know about here. Like like and and California has the is is really interesting about like there. There's weird laws, and I respect that every state's got weird laws, but California's got some stuff. Like there. There are things that like when I'm when I'm uh, when I bring things from Tennessee, I bet like I bet this probably is illegal in California. Could for be. some reason. Because there's there's all sorts of weird things. Just like that that someone could do a tumbler of just like things that are illegal in California. And it would be like I'd be into that. I'd love to check that be out. Like, yeah. I'd be like that that's a that's an iguana in a 
hoop skirt. Oh, that's illegal in California. <laughs> that is actually illegal yeah. in California, at least in, in this part of California. Yeah. Northern California, different rules. <laughs> but this was shot on the Riviera, right? Yeah, on the, the French Riviera in Nice. Um, and it's it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. And like all the parties are amazing. They are. And there's leopards and there's children in liquid sky makeup. Yes, that was. I never noticed that maybe until this. Yeah. And then they're trying to pick up on the woman by yeah. saying, we have cable. Yeah. We have Porsche. We have Porsche. We have cable. <laughs> and it's just like, like it's the, the evolution of pickup lines is a really, that, that, that's, that's sort of a linguistic trace thing that, you know, that you never see the scientists do, but like, I would be interested in how those evolve. Mm. Uh, like just depending on like, you know, what's big in the media at the time, where you are in the world, that yeah. sort of thing. Right. Your uh, new arrival to money or yeah. not, which is what that seems to be kind of about. Mm-hmm. Also, when you mention the party things, it reminds me of how this is not really a terribly vain vanity project. Yes, Prince it's looks not. incredible. He's and yes, all, he's, I mean, he's always he always the focus of incredible. attention. Yeah. He is, but there's long stretches in the film where there's other things going on. Yeah, yeah. And typically vanity projects don't have such a sense of humor about them. Yeah, Like yeah. Gra- Graffiti Bridge, you could say, is a vanity project because he's just mm-hmm. out of his mind. Yeah, yeah. You, and it's, it's not fun. You know what I mean? You're, it's not fun. Yeah. It's um, And I feel like... One of the things about Graffiti Bridge, like being made in Minneapolis, being made at Paisley Park is just like he's right in the center of everything. You know, like that's all of his projects are there. All of the recording is happening there. All this. Whereas with this, he's in France and occasionally ducking into a studio for things. But what he's doing is having Wendy and Lisa concord across the Atlantic to pick up tapes and stuff and like trade out. And then they take it back to the U S and work on it in the studio while he's shooting the film. And then, you know, like, and then like if they have like a week or so, he comes back to the U S and works with the whole band. Right. I mean, it's like, it's a, there's a fascinating book. It's um there, there's two volumes of it. Now, uh, Dwayne Tudal wrote them. The first one is the purple rain sessions, which goes from like 83 to early 85. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is the sign of the time session. And it goes, it picks up where the last one left off and goes through the beginning of um, uh, 87, 88. And um, it it covers like the making of uh, Under the Cherry Moon and all the songs for it. And it, you know, tells you on a daily basis what's going on in the studios. Wow. And it's at this time, it's also really interesting because like Wendy and Lisa are doing a lot of work on these Uh, because at that point, you know, he trusted them completely. Like they they were working as sort of a unit and and two of the best songs in this thing they wrote together. uh, Mountains Mountains and and Sometimes It Snows in April. Oh yeah, gorgeous Like, I mean, if you look, if you look at the, uh, at the ASCAP registration, for it like they wendy and lisa are co-writers on this and it's not like print was prince was really weird like most all of his stuff he did all of it himself and occasionally he would dole out songwriting credits if he was just like happy with what you did in the studio or, or he felt if it like, was part of the subterfuge of the protégés thing yeah 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 like the time records were pretty much all him yeah but oh yeah he would give morris credit if they came up t- together yeah with it, came up with it together in the studio mm-hmm. but other things were yeah, it's Just, it's the the, the 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 I'm sure somebody at Controversy Music could tell you all about it because there's like so many different things and he wrote under so many different names. Jamie Starr. Uh, yeah. Um, what's uh, the name he wrote the Kenny Rogers song on? Uh, Joey Coco. Thank you. It's one of my favorite yeah. pseudonyms. Well, and it's setting up. Uh, it's it set up a, a sub thing called the Coco Boys, which were going to be part <laughs> the first draft of Graffiti Bridge. There's a song called Coco Boys on the sign of the Times Super Deluxe. But what's funny is his character in this movie, Christopher Tracy. That name was first introduced as the credited songwriter of the Bangles' Manic Monday. Really? Yeah. 
See, I love this whole, whole uh, it, what is it, conceptual continuity, as Zappa termed yeah. it, and expanded Prince universe. Yeah. It's a multiverse. Yeah. And another film that plays significantly in the Prince imagination is The Idolmaker. Yes. The Taylor Hackford film. That's a, that was his favorite film. Yeah. And he watched it a number of times. He took, I think I heard Des talking about mm -hmm. him being taken by Prince to see the movie. Because uh -huh. Prince saw it in the theater like 10 times. Yeah. And yeah. that's what awakened him to the possibilities of creating the time, Vanity Six, mm -hmm. et cetera. And then, of course, in Purple Rain, one of my favorite conceits is yeah. that his competition are all yeah. bands that he created. Yeah. So he's yeah. created this fake competition that then became real on tour. Yeah. It's like it's it's like one of those like late nineties, early aughts uh psychological thrillers where the, the third Gere. act the third act tells you that like, oh, it's all in his own mind. And it's like <laughs> and that's what Purple Rain is ultimately a, like a battle for the the artistic soul of the kid, but it's all happening like by instruments of his own creation. It shows a remarkable insight into his own psyche. Yeah. He was a Gemini, and he was always very conscious of like like dualities and stuff. Mm -hmm. We were so fortunate to have Prince as an icon in our lifetimes because he was always doing something interesting, but the interesting things he did never like destroyed or really hurt other people. Right. They were just not more like confusing. My, not uh, like Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know, not like like he was never a woman beater. He was never right. like a, a molester. He just he had a lot of sex. Yeah. But and that's it, fine. And, and, it, and he also had like weird spiritual issues. Yeah. And definitely. he had like egomania. But I mean, like I, you know, I'm a Leo. I, I I'm an egomaniac <laughs> to begin with as well. So it's like I can't hold that against somebody. And it's like, and the talent's there. Uh, exactly for someone who was so exceptionally talented uh -huh. and so able to sit down at the drum kit yeah. and knock out four great songs in yeah. a row that are just in his head that morning. Yeah. Who also used to tell Susan Rogers like, "We got to finish this one today yeah. because I got another one coming tomorrow." And every day yeah. for a good long time, he'd write and record and mix. Oh a yeah, song, a constantly, song. constantly. Like he didn't sleep much during the eighties. There was also some rumors that he was doing speed or coke. Around well, yeah, that time. that's that's the thing, and because like his his whole thing was being very anti drugs and alcohol for so long, and it's you know it 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 seems like it, it's it's we'll never know because like the the way I always understood it was that he's what got him into painkillers was the just not being able to get the hip replacement so, yeah. and he was just in constant like lower back and leg pain which and is just he still horrifying. maintained the anti drug position yeah. at that time which lends a little credence to possible rumors yeah. of using drugs which wouldn't be that yeah. shocking i mean yeah. also someone driven to create as much yeah. as he did bowie fell into a similar thing in the 70s yeah i mean i don't think that was the only thing guiding crack actor yeah um, oh uh, yeah well i mean he stayed up for so many days in a row keith richards was worried about him yeah. so that's a and special that's, place that's a very special place you get you get <laughs> you get a certificate to frame on your wall if that if Keith gets worried. Yeah, you really do. Um, but the uh, yeah the well because and I mean the the whole big thing in 1987 um, when he was supposed to put out the Black Album and mm. then pulled it at the last minute. I'm sorry, 1988. 
uh, because he he tried ecstasy and had a bad experience, right? And was just like, no, the Black Album is wicked. You can't put that out. And then he recorded Love Sexy, which is really good, and which is why for for future archivists and stuff, the Black Album and Love Sexy should always be grouped together because they're two sides of the same record. Oh, to that's me. true. To yeah. me, yeah. are there two different versions of the Black Album? No, okay. there's there the, the, it's it's eight songs. There a lot of the bootlegs would append like different extra things at the end just to like you know increase their value and make it unique but you know there's the black album is the black album it's just eight songs and then one of the songs when two are in love is also on love sexy oh so it bridges the two of them right um but you know jerome we were talking about him and earlier we were talking i think we often mention this to each other that it's a great travesty to cinema act more yeah yeah because he's brilliant in this and in purple rain yeah he doesn't have as much to do in Purple Rain. He's just playing off of Morris, but like Morris is such a supernova in Purple Rain that like, you know, Jerome still makes it work. And then in this one, Jerome is as good in this as Morris was in Purple Rain. Couldn't agree more. And that also speaks to Prince's vibe in that yeah. he allowed everyone to shine yeah. and brought out their natural proclivities yeah. for humor or for yeah. play what, what, and didn't sh- try to shape them into things he wanted them to be in that way even yeah. though the constructs of all the protege bands were his idea yeah well like when when prince is funny it's like wry and subtle like for a big laugh it's never prince it's always like morris or jerome or somebody else and i think it's like being aware of what your comedic limitations are that is a major artistic step and it some people never figure that out and prince figured that out pretty damn quick so i respect that yeah definitely because also if someone was completely carried away with their ego they wouldn't let anyone else shine like that. Yeah, Especially he would take comedy. all the good lines. He would, and he didn't. No, he did not at all. Yeah, and this is not like a stupid rock movie like Rick Springfield's Hard to Hold. Oh, there's another movie I watched recently. What What is it? Blame it on the night. Oof. All I remember about Hard to Hold was seeing it at a drive-in in Kettering, Ohio with my Aunt Carol and the first movie was The Last Starfighter so I was all on board for that. <laughs> Catherine Mary Stewart always dear to my heart um and lance guest is really good in it too and then the second movie was hard to hold and like i knew some of the songs because they'd gotten played but this was it was on its it was the second feature at the drive-in it was on its way out yeah yeah. and i just remember there's like there's like one scene in like a hospital or something and like just like gigantic rock star ass on the screen and i was just like huh now this was before that i knew i was gay Uh but at the same time i was just like that's something you don't normally see in movies. <laughs> I like that. Continue. But then like my Aunt Carol was just like, I'm dreadfully bored. Can we go? And I'm like, yeah, sure. The popcorn was done. The hard to hold was not pulling in my attention. So like we had it on. But I looked at that film as a kid on VHS mm-hmm. and I was excited because any rock related movie, yeah. a rock yeah. star in a movie, I would watch it, mm-hmm. which meant I saw a lot of bad films. This would be the top of the peak for bad rock films i didn't like it as a kid i found nothing interesting Mm -hmm. it was on prime at one point and Mm -hmm. i put it on and i got two minutes in when he's running around with a little towel yeah Uh, he's he's like naked a lot yeah it seems like i mean hey you know what if you if not a bad thing if you know that that's where your talent lies like show the groceries go for it you know because like it's the, the 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 best philosophy on that i've ever heard is rosario dawson was talking about uh 
the Oliver Stone film Alexander, uh-huh. which she has like she has several nude scenes in it, and they're very impressive and all that. And she was just like, "Look, I look real good in that movie." Yeah, and you know, someday I'm going to be older, and you know, the girls aren't going to have quite the oomph that they did then, but I'm going to have this movie forever. And I was just like, "That's a really good attitude to have." Yeah, like it is. and like and also, I don't understand having pride in your body. Like that's just completely alien to me. So like, if you've got that, go for it. Sure. I'm, I support that entirely. And like Prince is like, he, his instincts are like spawn. Cause remember, like, remember when diamonds and pearls came out and like, he made that, he debuted get off on the Arsenio hall show in those chaps. Yes. And everyone's just like, oh, is that Prince's ass? And it was just like, you know, it wasn't even a thing. It was yeah. like society was just like Prince's ass yeah, is now Prince. part of our okay. collective culture. Yes, exactly. Let's move on. And, yeah, um, yeah. He I, likes the cutouts. Yeah, yeah. I respect that. And that's that was. I mean, that was back during the days when like he would like just call up a camera crew and just be like, "I need, I need a few gazelles and like hot people at Paisley <laughs> Park because we're going to shoot a video." And and, and that of, would happen. And speaking of the vaults, there are a lot of unreleased music videos there's so much there i think there's like a film or two there's so much there like honestly i i would love to see inside the vault just because there's a few things that i want to know if they're real or not yeah but i also it would it would it would be so overwhelming that i could honestly see myself just keeling over dead because (laughs) it's like like what are you like you get if you get access to the the paisley vault what are you gonna do i mean it's just like there's so much history there and there's um, a lot the only song that apparently doesn't exist according to susan rogers is the first version of wally is that the one where he he recorded it and then then destroyed it it. yeah there's he did a second take that isn't quite as emotionally raw and that's on the sign of the times deluxe box set but that first version yeah that's the um that that is the that's the holy grail like everybody wants to hear that yeah um, and it only exists on a cassette that he took away with yeah them. maybe and even that may have been destroyed like probably my my personal favorite weirdo unreleased prince thing and it's there it's it's a famous amongst bootleggers yeah um and it's called Billy Sunglasses. It's just under an hour long. It's it's a revolution jam. It's them like Prince solos like a lot, um, and every member of the revolution plays on it. And it is just wonderful. It's like super hypnotic and like chill. It's like like I have a, you can tell that they're using the Bobby and the LM one, the Lin LM one to like guide the session as the as the metronome because like sometimes. Like if Sheila's running the is is on the drums, it's too fast and it it can grind on you. Like it doesn't it doesn't un it doesn't unclench. Oh sure, it's like ten minutes, but it's like real tight and yeah, stuff. And it's sure. um and it's great. I mean, like respect to anybody who can play the drums that fast that consistently because I can't. But <laughs> um but like the ones where it, where it's Bobby or the or just using the LM one to guide things, like you it goes in more interesting directions. Like the jam will take you into different places. And for listeners who don't know what the lm1 is it's the drum machine that you hear on every prince song every yeah. great one the the, the lin lm1 drum machine the original um, lin drum machine right yeah, yeah yeah it's um you you've you've heard it before in the human league's dare album like don't you want me that is that is the lin lm1 right there yeah on um, most early 80s electronic yeah. stuff it was the preeminent yeah it was it was device. The, it, well, it was the first drum machine that used actual waveform samples right. from a live kit yeah and then you could and each each sound had its own tuning module so you could you could really change it up it's yeah. all over um 
what's his name? Phil uh, Collins. No, the, the cool one from the Eagles, Joe Walsh. It's all over oh, okay. Joe Walsh's stuff too. Yeah, yeah. and probably Henley's. Yeah, stuff. Henley's. Henley uses it extensively on uh, "Building the Perfect Beast," which I think is his best record. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, some trivia from the movie that uh, I pulled up here that you probably already had in your list. But Madonna was apparently, allegedly, originally offered the role of Mary Sharon, a.k.a. Mary Maitland. Uh, <laughs> Susanna Mulvoyne was cast, then replaced before filming began. I don't think I knew that about yeah. Susanna. Yeah, well, I mean, it was just sort of like with the uh, Warner. Warner was just like, this isn't working exactly how we want to do. And um, and that's fine. Like, Susanna's an incredible talent. She still performs. Yeah. Like, she and, uh, and Wendy and Lisa all still perform regularly. Um, but her acting yeah yeah and that's and i think i think she said that you know like that wasn't her thing and yeah um, and and god bless it for working out this way because Kristen scott thomas is so good in this oh she's fantastic and she has she has a habit of making all her co-stars watch this oh really like before they work together like apparently harrison ford is a big fan of this movie (laughs) because she made him watch it before they did random hearts together oh okay well that seems like a good staging yeah plan for that now you have some other fascinating research. Oh, that I mean, she did. it's like is it just thoughts? I mean, like my nature as a film critic is like if I'm watching something and taking notes, like it's all sorts of like random, random things. Uh, there's uh, <laughs> we like the, random things. Well, one of the things that I notice about this and is that Prince has this way of doing like a really klutzy fall that's really endearing yeah and very you jerry it, lewis you notice it in purple rain in the scene where he's like intervening trying to stop his dad from like beating up his mom yes yeah like he like falls and slides all over the place and it's yeah. really it, it like it's really gangly and unusual and he does it several times in this as well yeah and it's just like it's like it's weird because like you know his physicality is very much like as a performer and a dancer but he, there, there's a certain kind of there's a way that he takes a fall that's really interesting. It's and really I've committed always, as well. Yeah, because I know he was a big basketball player like in high school and stuff. But I don't know if he did like theater or anything or had any sort of stage training. But yeah. he falls like someone who is absolutely taking very, making a very risky choice that could result in damage. But it's like it's Prince. He's not going to do that. No, he's, he's not very gonna, graceful, and he, yeah. he it's like the graceful, klutzy yeah. thing, like a deliberate, like Dick Van Dyke style. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's weird because like you don't think of him as a physical comic, but and, and and sometimes it's not funny because it looks very precarious. But it's like it's something that he does really well. And like it's 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 it it is the most vulnerable you see him. Yeah. And he he does it at least once in each of these films. And another fun thing in the continuity department is apparently Recasto is written differently on the napkins uh-huh. in a couple shots. That, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that's sort of like any the, the whole napkin thing because like Jerome communicates, uh, uh, Tricky communicates via napkin for like the whole opening sequence. Which I, I love that. Yeah. 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 Um, She's very thirsty. Yes, pour it on. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Let's let's talk about Tricky because like he's yeah. he's a fascinating character because he is he is what I like to call an anything that moves bisexual in yeah. this. <laughs> like <it> just like <laughs> like some tricky. might say that about me. <laughs> <laughs> you get it you get that it's a special notation on your driver's license yes yeah. it is thank you um but the, yeah it's just like him in this it is like he is it is obvious that he loves the ladies and yet he he gets he can mince and it doesn't feel 
insulting. It feels just like right. like like one of the girls. Well, like it also he's just, just feels like, like another side of his character. Yeah, almost yeah. like code switching. Yes, very much so. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, just like the <laughs> when he threatens to slap the waves out of Prince's hair, <laughs> like it's great. It's like the, the the dynamic between the two of them is always doing like three different things at the same time. Uh, yeah, and they're always in this arch mm-hmm. kind of um, performative thing with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when they're fighting and they're goofing around, or even the Bella Lugosi yeah, stare yeah. thing. And then there's the other stare that they do later on mm-hmm. that has that music cue underneath that sounds like yeah. horror movie music yeah. or tension music. Yeah. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And you don't see Jerome's face at first until the camera pans around and you realize they're yeah. both doing it. Yeah. I also like that the absurdity of the scene near the end when he's in the car with mary uh-huh. and she's like i don't want to talk to you i you know leave me alone and he jumps in the back so she says i don't even know you anymore uh-huh. so what does he do he hops in the back seat disappears for like 10 seconds uh-huh. and comes up with the sunglasses the sunglasses and then she's like what are you doing uh-huh. oh my god mm-hmm. christopher and he's mm-hmm. just not doing anything literally sitting there like a yeah. vegetable you've gone insane mm-hmm. i love that too because in so many other moments he's acting completely bananas very yeah. loud at the restaurant or and freaking this one out he's just shutting down completely and, shutting down yeah and she's like you've gone what's the matter oh no mm-hmm. i like that i feel like for prince's friends like and not even necessarily the ones who are in this movie but i feel like for prince's friends this is the film that that lets you know who Prince as a human being was. Right, because every report from Morris Day or mm-hmm. anyone that was close to him talks about how funny he was, yeah. and he was constantly making jokes, constantly goofing mm-hmm. around, and not in a mean-spirited way either. Yeah. He was never... I mean, he could be a bastard to people at times. Oh, but, he, yeah, he could. But, but it wasn't... That wasn't the way he joked around. He wasn't right. putting people down. right. Although when he did get mad at someone, yeah, uh, like was, mad at Morris at the end of the time experience, yeah. there's that B side when Morris left. I think he left right after conducting reshoots. Yeah, for yeah. Purple Rain. Right. As soon as Purple Rain was done, he was gone. According to him, he left the soundstage, got in a limo, and that was it. And then there was the single coming out, and they needed another track. So this is what we got. One, two, three. Why you big? Toss silent hairdo having long tall snaggly gold tooth Funk in habit form leather wearing bean pole looking black So this is a Prince Morris jam. Wait a second. Oh my god, this is the fucking track for Chlorine Bacon Skin. Yeah, yeah, it is. Wow. Alfred? Somebody bring me a piece of chicken. No. I never realized that. Yeah. What what trick is a what trick is a yakety yak? Yakety yak my ass, and this is him imitating Morris on yeah. top of a track. This is the dement this is the madness of his fuck use to people. So uh, for those not familiar with Clarine Bacon Skin, it's a Morris Day on drums jam, Prince on bass, which is how they would construct a lot of the stuff that they worked on together. And then Prince would lay the stuff up on top. And this is him doing an impression of Morris on top of a track he plays on. So he can say, <laughs> fuck you. And he credits the song on the single to Morris Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
That sound. I might trim this down, but it's so good to listen to. <laughs> it's fine. It yeah. is. I love fuck off songs like yeah. this. the shit out of Morris. Yeah, yeah. Johnny, Johnny. Indeed. That's the main punchline is the flushing of Morris out of the yeah. time. Yeah, so... But Morris lived to tell the tale. Oh, so, he did? Yeah. Yeah, and they reunited. Yeah, of course, they, made, they made peace before Prince died, which is good. And they made it's, a great album, Pandemonium, that was mostly yeah. not Prince... It's it's led. half and half. Half and it's half. Half of okay. it is is it, well. There's there's a version of that album called Corporate World that's like the old time albums where it's all Prince, right? But then um, Warner's was just like, no, we like because at that point, um, Jam and Lewis were coming off of Rhythm Nation, and they're just like, Prince, we love you. You know, you're. We, half of it can be yours, but we want if we can have the people responsible for Rhythm Nation and control do some of yeah. this they're gonna do half the album so like yeah pandemonium is a great time album because half of it is print stuff and half of it is jam and lewis it is a terrific album but then yeah. unfortunately later when they wanted to do the time again he refused yeah. he wouldn't use let them the use name. the name so they were the original seven and that album is very good it's fantastic it's called yeah. condensate condensate yeah, yeah. and uh, hashtag trending was the first single and it's <laughs> great oh my if if ever anyone needed to be let loose in the social media infrastructure it is morris day <laughs> i don't know why he's so quiet really online uh, um i mean he's he's got his own business i mean like yeah. that's like that morris is he's so iconic that like people still like rip off his personality and it's wild because it's like that's something he did like 40 years ago yeah but exactly. it's still it's still like right in our hearts like you can go into a target and you can get a purple rain t-shirt and it's just like it's wild because that that archetype that it it, it, it engages in like familiar archetypes that we understand and because of that that film is immortal like yeah, it also it the album is the greatest album ever made i will i will book no uh nothing to the contrary purple rain is the best album ever made and um but it's like 
and Morris is part of that. It's like, because because the whole thing is just like, oh, like you know, you don't want to go off with Morris. He just wants girls to shake the groceries and like like moan in lingerie and stuff. But it's like, but the kid is like, you know, he's he's not much a woman better. beater who's fighting it. They're complicated characters, but like they resonate with us. When also even Morris being what he is, mm-hmm. yeah, prick. He's a classic movie villain yes but he's very funny and super charming that's the thing and he's so good and he had never done any acting before yeah so i you know i want to see moving the Uh again because it's not a great and uh, film but morris day is so charming that not a day goes by that i'm just like you know maybe i should watch ford fairlane today oh that's right because i don't like andrew dice clay at that point in time although our back get it i think is a conceptual masterpiece but I um I've never watched that film, but it's like, okay, Yellow does the music and Morris Day is in it, and I haven't seen it. Why? Oh, you haven't seen it at all. No, no. I I was I was I was political at an early age. I understand. I saw it twice in the theater. <laughs> I, yeah, and it's a bizarrely inert film. A funny story actually uh-huh. about the second viewing is that mm-hmm. my brother was like, How was it? And I was like, It's really good. You should see it. Okay, well, we were trying to figure out a movie to watch or go see him and his Uh friends. So we went to go see it and they were like, that was the worst fucking movie ever. I was like, I don't know. I liked it. Uh What's wrong with me? Like you guys. I was Uh like, it's fine. It's because it's so weird. Mm -hmm. It's an inert film. Mm -hmm. It's Rennie Harlan who should not be directing a comedy. Yeah. And ridiculous action and explosion sequences. And then Gilbert Gottfried playing a DJ named Johnny Crunch. Uh Morris Day. Uh I think just playing Morris Day. I think. Or no, has no. Gil- has Gilbert ever had Morris on his podcast? No. As far as I know, Morris has only been on the Questlove podcast. Huh. I would love to have him on. I talk would to him. love nothing more than for Gilbert Gottfried and Morris Day to do everything together. That would be fantastic. That's a talk buddy picture I could two, get about. Two dynamic individuals that I. That would be amazing. And oh Gilbert's God. podcast is fantastic. Yeah, it is. I yeah, love it, is. it. Now, let's check out what Siskel and Ebert said about Under okay. the Cherry Moon. Our next film is the latest effort by the rock star Prince, who burst to stardom in the movies with his very first picture, Purple Rain. That film was an exciting story of a young man trying to come to terms with his parents, his career, and the woman he loved. It was a classic rites of passage film, thoughtful, deeply felt, with exciting musical sequences, sort of a successor to Saturday Night Fever. By comparison, his new film, Under the Cherry Moon, is a kiddie cartoon about Prince as an American gigolo in southern France attracted to a very rich young heiress. And when they first meet at a party, they quarrel. What's wrong with the kiddie cartoon? I don't I don't think that at all. I mean, it's like it's using it's using like the visual cinematic language of like very sophisticated European art cinema. Yeah. And um, like, I don't. I don't know. It's I mean, a completely wrong-minded yeah, ass, uh, yeah. assertion, I think. But Siskel had a lot of those. The film was shot in black and white. Actually, a note about that before we move on to the rest of the review was yeah. actually not shot in black and yeah, white. Yeah, it was shot in color, and then like they they released it in black and white because that's what Prince wanted. And like it looks amazing in black and white like it, it does. really does um that right supposedly well on the internet there's a fan colorized version of it um that you know i appreciate the effort i appreciate anybody who loves under the cherry moon enough to put that much time and effort into it 
but it's just like it's a fan color job it's not like the original negative like there's right. there's there's on set photos of that are in color and you know like they're bright colors and stuff but it's like this film was meant to be black and white and yeah. that's that's the way to watch it i think it's the only way to watch it really i would check out a scene or two if yeah, the blu-ray yeah. had yeah both versions but yeah i'm surprised outfits. to see how much time Siskel and Ebert devote to this. Later, after Princess started to really fall in love with the girl, his best friend tells her that Prince really wants to marry her for her money. You don't really love Jonathan, do you? If I tell you, will you tell me something about the women you go out with? Yes. No. No, you don't. Kiss me first. Straight now! Don't you two make a sexy cup. Where's the wedding? I said, where's the wedding, man? Tricky. You're still gonna marry, aren't you? That's what you said. Except for $50 million, we would seriously consider it, Mary. But hey, guess what? I want my cut. You promised me 30%, I want it. Mary, we got this little business deal, you understand? Don't take it personal. It's not true, Mary. Do you lie? Now, you know, I've seen that scene twice now. And I can't figure out why he doesn't answer no or not to you when she asks if he lies. Now, think about this. That would be his answer even if he were a liar, because a liar would say, no, I don't lie. And would also be the answer if he does love her, because he should say, no, I wouldn't lie to you. Now, when a script can screw up a simple scene like that, you know you're dealing with a very dumb script. And I'm very proud of your analysis. In fact, I'm sure that when you were a philosophy major in yeah. college, your professors <laughs> taught you that probably on the first day. Yes, but it's a but it's a mistake, right? Right? <laughs> okay, it is a mistake. Oh, I love the derision pouring out oh, of Roger I Ebert. The, when they, I love when they get spiky with one another. That's that one of the best like underground videos, like v viral videos before the fact, back when it was just on VHS. The Siskel and Ebert outtakes the where best. they're just, they're so mean to each other, but you can tell that it is hard worn out of respect. Um, but I mean, th there is nothing that compares to the one where they basically just end, end up advocating the overthrow of the government. Do you know the one I'm talking <laughs> yes, I about? Do. Yeah, they're talking yeah. about scotch and uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's it is unreal. Like, I mean, if you ever if if you're ever looking for like an internet wormhole to spend some time in, Siskel and Ebert outtakes will not lead you wrong. Not just that, but there's compilations now of all of the Dogs of the Week segments oh. that they did, which are fantastic. <laughs> partially because they hate so many movies that i love yeah like vice squad they yeah. hated vice squad yeah well i mean it's just it's it's sort of the way that you metabolize what you take in and i get that and that they're 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 immediacy like they're they're talking about all these films right as they're first coming out oh, so there's, absolutely there's yeah. no like um like i always said that something useful for any critic would be a chance to just like go back and be like hey here's some things i was wrong about well ebert did do that a lot yeah he would like, go back he realized he was wrong about all that jazz which he gave a thumbs down to uh -huh. lots of films i was when i the the, the four that i lament um, I was way too kind to um, the Chronicles of Riddick and um, Corky Romano, <laughs> and I was way too mean to Pootie Tang and Mulholland Drive at first. I have since come around on all four of those mm -hmm. and written extensively about both Mulholland Drive and Pootie Tang. But um, but yeah, I just like they're they're when I get something wrong 
Um, and that's and a lot of times that has to do with deadlines or just the circumstances of the world. Plus, you could but, be in a bad mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I get something wrong, I feel bad about it. Um, but when I get something right, I get really, really um, confident about it. Yeah. And me being confident can be dangerous. <laughs> um, but like you know, like in this instance, this is like the perfect conflagration of like Prince taking chances, making something special, and like you know. If I I love the idea of a world where this movie was a massive hit, just as big as Purple Rain, yeah, because um, like that, it, so much could have been different. But um, you know, the world is what it is, and um, sadly, you know, it's this is still an unheralded gem, and that's I'll I'll have to give credit where credit is due, though the um the people at the How Did This Get Made podcast did an exceptional episode. They did a about fabulous this movie. episode about yeah. this. Yeah, like it's it's the kind of thing that like it's like when I was taking my notes for this, it was like shadowing over the back of me. It's just like, look, there's no way we're going to be able to do what How Does This Get Made gets do- does with that episode. Well, also, so this it's is a just, different. Yeah, it's just yeah, a different. Thing. Yeah, I mean, thing. I remember when they did that. I I initially thought, oh, that's probably off the list now because yeah. we had talked about it ages ago. Yeah, but then I thought, no, because it's been it's, a it's different, been long enough. Also, you know, there's there's shows that have been about the same movies that I've covered uh-huh. and stuff, and it's going to be different because it's what I'm saying. Yeah, about it. it's so, going to be covering different things, and and neither of us have like the distracting sexual magnetism of Jason Mantzoukas. <laughs> There, well, I'd, I'd like to think I do sometimes. But, well, I uh, mean, like, but it's it's a different kind of thing. Well, like, and also, it's they're talking about it in their way, and yeah. they they have certain angles that they're going after. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that there's maybe five percent overlap. Yeah, in terms of what we're talking yeah. about. But it's like there's there's that the, I I have so much respect anytime somebody like knocks it out of the park like that. That's a great and, episode. You know, it was yeah. not a great episode. Is there? Tough Guys Don't Dance episode. Oh. I feel like they just did not get the majesty of that picture. I have to watch that film all the way through before I can I can indulge in in podcasts about it because like I there some films like I'm like I can listen to people talking about this before I see it and it will help shape my decision to actually see the film or not. And there are some that I'm just like no, I have to I have to be I have to be confident in my own awareness of something before I can like step into that um, arena. <laughs> well, sure. I think you'd enjoy the film. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. It's like, like that it is, it is recommended by people whose opinions I trust, but I also have like very serious Ryan O'Neill issues. Like he's, I'll tell you what he's great in is, um, uh, Barry Lyndon and mm. Zero Effect, because in both films, the directors are determined to make him suffer in every scene. And I appreciate that. Well, the reason he was picked by Kubrick for Barry Lyndon uh-huh. is he wanted to take to, him down a peg. Well, no, he said he wanted a shiftless social climber. Uh huh. And that's what he felt Ryan O'Neill was. That's interesting. Well, one of the things that what he does to Ryan O'Neill and Barry Lyndon is also very similar to what he does to Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut, which is grind him down into a fine movie star paste. (laughs) And then spread him on the production set. Have you never never seen Eyes Wide Shut? No, I've never seen Barry Lyndon. Oh, I love Eyes Wide Shut. Barry Lyndon is great. I do want to see it. I mean, it is. It's. It's beautiful and cruel, and I mean, it's the 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 lighting is just spectacular. I mean, yeah, I went to school for cinematography, so I'm like, 
the, the the lenses he uses on that so he can light the whole thing by candlelight. I'm just like, damn well, which it, is wild. It's wild. Damn it, Stanley, you're too good for this world. Yeah, and he also used a very specific aspect ratio that yeah. barely is used anymore. Yeah. Let's get back to Siskel and Ebert uh, yeah. making potentially a useless assertions uh, or yeah. criticisms. But that comment that Siskel made mm-hmm. about the script is, yeah. I think, silly because nothing about the film sort of conforms to it's not juvenile it's not juvenile in any way and also he should have said this well i mean yeah you might have think you might think that but i feel like if a movie does something where you're like but he should say this you should like it's complex yeah it's complex and also maybe like don't think you have the answer for everything when you watch a movie yeah maybe there's a reason why he's not sure I wonder if on the the House of Gucci press tour, if anybody asked Becky Johnston about this movie, because it's like those are her two big credits, and it's just like, what a fascinating bookend (laughs) to like uh, a career. Because it's just like you know, I there there's something like Under the Cherry Moon is one of those films that like when I first watched it, I I didn't get it, I didn't understand it, and like now it's like a comfort food. It's mm-hmm. like it's like like homemade chicken soup. It's yeah. just like it's delightful and you just sort of soak into its atmosphere and like it's it's utter freedom to be glamorous and weird at all points. Yeah, and, such ab- a- and goofy and absurdist. And yeah. I love that. I also love Neil Young's Human Highway, <laughs> which is d- I've darker, tried. I tried. When they did, did the you see 4K- the director's cut? When they did, did the 4K okay. of the director's cut, I was just like, I'm going to give Human Highway a try again. And it's, you know what? It's just not for me. Sure. <laughs> I get that. There are all sorts of stupid chase sequences between Prince and his buddy and a goon squad employed by the rich girl's father. Just what people want to see. Prince and his buddy chased over town by a bunch of thugs. Purple rain came from somebody's guts. Some of it was supposedly autobiographical about Prince, and that's why it was so heartfelt and wonderful. But Under the Cherry Moon is a made-up story, and a silly one at that. Save for some nice love scenes and some good music, the film insults our intelligence, and really it insults the intelligence that Prince showed us he had in his film debut. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, of course, Purple Rain was, I thought, one of the best films of the year. This movie is not even one of the best films while I was watching it (laughs) in the theater at that time, you know. Uh, It's a real disappointment. I think I know what he was trying to do, especially with the black-and-white photography. He was trying to make a movie that looks like... one of those very obscure 30s, third-rate romance uh, comedies that you see real, real late at night on real poor television stations. And turn off. Right, and don't look at. And uh, in the title sequence, for example, he's playing the piano and making eyes to the rich girl's mother, and that's right out of, he wants to look like Rudolph Valentino. He's even wearing a headdress. I understand all of that. What I don't understand is what possessed Prince to want to do this. Yes. Why, with all of the energy and all of the personality in Purple Rain, did he want to play this wimp? And why did he want to do it in the south of France? A lot of the black women in the theater with me, and yeah. I, I saw it uh, with a large crowd of people, were saying, you know, what's wrong with black women? How come there aren't any black women in this picture? Yeah. He's got three white girls around him. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is, what's he doing in the south of France, especially when he doesn't even speak French in the movie? Well, let me clear up the racial point, because in his okay. music, he's talked in one of his most famous songs he said that he wishes there were no black or white so that i think he can have a legitimate argument for but beyond that he cannot explain to me why he's in a chase <laughs> picture see that's what's so stupid in other words have There's, a love story this guy there are can so be one of the, few chases in this movie there are really siskel is not giving an accurate summation of what happens in under the cherry moon one of the things i love about his reviews is he gets fixated
fixated on something he doesn't like, and then that becomes the overall thrust of the picture. Yeah. He's a very erotic presence. Mm -hmm. And I think when this movie cooks, it's when he's love making love. Mm -hmm. But this chase stuff and the rich girl and the parents are so broadly drawn, this is beneath the guy. Here's a big talent in a small movie. Well, there's one thing that I do think he does in this movie, and he did it in the other one, too. He has good taste in sidekick. Yes, he does. This time, the guy we saw there is Jerome Benton, right. who was a member of the band Revolution. In the last movie, it was Morris Day. Day. Both of them They're... are natural comedians. Yep. I don't know. First, he had Morris Day. Now, he's got another one. And the big the big laughs in the movie, the scenes that really play, are the ones that Jerome I agree Benton does. Very good. Next at the movies, an animated version of a Sherlock Holmes mystery called The Great Mouse Detective. He's, he's a legend as a critic and everything. But Ebert could be such a cunt sometimes. Oh, absolutely. All the time. Most of the and time. And I, I, I respect that in some instances, but it's just like, I feel like this, this is one that I wish I could have asked him about because <laughs> like, like this film, it has aged because like I was very dismissive of it at first and yeah. like I, over time I've grown to love it, but um, who knows? There it's is a, a funny thing though, too, even the concept of he did this kind of movie and it was supposedly based on an autobiographical aspect of his life or, or that doesn't make sense what i just said based on parts of his own life but this one wasn't it's a made-up story well it's a different movie yeah and i understand sometimes you expect to see someone re return with something similar but i don't know i think it's kind of um a useless thing to do like if you go see uh i don't know another movie by someone else I'm trying to think of uh, a comparison that works, and I can't think of one because Prince is such a singular uh -huh. entity. But I don't know. I guess anyone, a director, even Scorsese, a lot of times, people love to say he makes the same movie all the time, when in actual fact, he makes different movies almost every other movie. Uh, he happens to make some gangster pictures, but you know, then he makes Age of Innocence. Yeah. And then if he makes Age of Innocence, people go, ah, this is not the kind of movie he should be making. Look, anyone who wants to give Martin Scorsese shit about anything is welcome to once they give Sandra Bernhard a starring role that changes like the, the emotional dynamic of the universe, yes. because that is what Masha and the King of comedy is. And when Marvel steps up and like gives us, you know, like a Sandra Bernhard like superhero role, <laughs> right. or Parker Posey, or someone, someone of a similar like iconic like Status. power, yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. then I'm fine with that. But it's just like, like, don't presume that you know what Martin Scorsese is up to because he has made a career out of like thwarting expectations and yeah. stuff. And I like to think that like. If if this movie had been successful, maybe we could have seen other kinds of films from Prince that weren't right. Graffiti Bridge, right? Because like Sign of the Times, I mean, like it's a it's a concert film, but a lot of it is also like restaged stuff, so that that allowed him to present his stuff exactly the way he wanted it. Yeah, and I'm just like I'm in awe of that because it's like like you watch Under the Cherry Moon, and it's just like this guy has so much more going on than than just a, being a rock star and i'm i really really uh wish we could have seen more of that same here because even what they were saying about the brooding rock star struggling yeah. and going through you know angst ridden situ situations mm -hmm. that why does he have to do that all the time and again that's the rock star thing like the yeah. very serious moody he's presenting a completely other side of the personality and th i agree i wish there was more of it
Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on the film before we close um, out this episode? I love it. It's a great film to watch with um with like your 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 wingman, your buddy. Um <laughs> like it's 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 a sleepover classic. Um like there's nothing in the world that I would love better than to just like like get a you know a a a, a secluded lake house full of like my best gays together and serve everyone a, an obsession a taste for fear breakfast of strawberries <laughs> and champagne and just be like hey everybody it's a it's a little overcast today so we're gonna watch under the cherry moon like i think that would be a blast yeah um, sounds like it would be a good time like i mean part part of me is like i have i have hypothetical imaginations of like happier childhoods than than i particularly i had i had a neutral childhood like i was i was very fortunate and everything but i don't have like the wild memories that some people do my sincerest hope is that that somewhere in the United States or in the world that 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 a bunch of teenage girls had a, a slumber party and they watched something else and then under the cherry moon and not everybody was into it but the people who were into it was just like I'm gonna find me a guy who treats me like Prince on a good day <laughs> and I, like I wish that for you the listener yes like you the letter you like Prince would write it when he invented text speak like decades ago. <laughs> I wish for you someone to treat you like Prince on a good day. Well, I can't uh, say anything more powerful or impactful than that. So I think <laughs> that I'm going to have to say this is the last thing I'm saying on the show, except for thank you very much, Jason. Absolutely. For not only joining me on this episode, but for suggesting that we do Under the Cherry Moon. Indeed. It's, yeah. a, it's a great film. It really is. It deserves, it deserves a proper reassessment. And this may not be that. However... Yeah. We did do our best. We're doing the work. Yeah. We're doing the work. We're we spreading what we the want gospel. To do. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. And do check out the How Did This Get Made episode. Yeah. And if you listen to this and you didn't watch the movie, uh -huh. um, you probably wouldn't enjoy it as much as if you watched the movie. Or if you don't yeah. like Prince, you probably didn't get this far. Yeah. So if you did, you're a Prince fan like us. Yes. And we're happy to hear it. And, um, you know, may, may, may you live to see the dawn and may your outfits always sparkle and you don't have to worry about weather or stains. And uh, may you never come across Graffiti Bridge. All right. <laughs> Till next time, everybody. Treat yourself right and head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Look at the reward tiers. See which one jumps out at you that you desire the most and then just go for it. Grab life by the suspenders and pull at patreon.com slash Craig and Friends.